Thanks for reading, Samara. And um, I was reminded as she was reading what we were looking at last week, the parable of the sower and the soils, and how it's the Word of God that brings about spiritual life and spiritual growth, and that call for us to consider carefully how we listen. So as we come to God's words this morning again, we want to be uh, considering how we listen, making sure we're good soil that uh, isn't distracted, doesn't allow God's word to be choked out, uh, but uh, receives and holds on to God's word as precious so that we might be those bearing fruit for his glory. We're looking this morning at uh, the transfiguration, uh, which I learned this week, I did not know this before, but the Sunday before Ash Wednesday is uh, Transfiguration Sunday in the church calendar. That means next Sunday is Transfiguration Sunday. Uh, So we're a week early, uh, but maybe that means as we look at it now, next Sunday you'll be able to celebrate the Transfiguration with uh, more understanding. Uh, Luke deliberately connects that story about the Transfiguration to what comes before it. So um, verse 28, he says, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, James, and John up, up a mountain. So he's, he's connecting the transfiguration with what, what Samara also read from verse 18 about Jesus' identity and what he's come to do and the call uh, to follow him. At the climax of the transfiguration story, the voice of God is heard from the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Now that's kind of interesting because Jesus doesn't actually say anything, or he's not recorded as saying anything in the transfiguration incident. And so I take it we're to understand that command as referring particularly to what Jesus has just been saying about his identity and why he's come and what it means to follow him. And really those three things are key themes throughout Luke's gospel. They're certainly the focus of this section of Luke's gospel. So my three points today reflect that central command to listen to Jesus. Firstly, listen to Jesus, listen to what Jesus says about his identity. Secondly, listen to what Jesus says about his mission. Thirdly, listen to what Jesus says about how to live what it means to follow him. So firstly, listen to what Jesus says about his identity. Uh, Back in verse 18, Jesus asks his disciples, who do the crowd say I am? And they basically respond, one of the prophets. And then he asks, well, what do you think? And Peter speaks up for all of them and says, you're God's Messiah. Jesus warns them not to tell anyone because he knows that their idea of the Messiah needs to be corrected And then he says, the Son of Man must suffer many things. Now that title, the Son of Man, refers back to the book of Daniel. And um, I I feel like I say that quite often. I think today, why don't we actually look at it? So turn back in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. Daniel 7. Verse 13, uh, Daniel is speaking. He says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. 
All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So, so this vision that Daniel has is of a son of man. In other words, a human figure, but this human figure is led into the presence of the Ancient of Days, that is God, and he's given divine authority and glory and sovereign power, and, and all nations worship him. And his kingdom is a kingdom that will last forever, never be destroyed. So the Son of Man, when Jesus talks about the Son of Man, we need to realize he's talking about a, a human figure who is given divine authority, universal dominion, all nations, and everlasting rule. His kingdom will never end. And really the transfiguration confirms that identity for Jesus. The transfiguration has really clear echoes to a story in the Old Testament. I wonder if you spotted it. Let me draw out a few elements of this story. There's a mountain and there's a cloud and lightning and people are terrified and there's a voice from the cloud and there's some discussion about building a shelter or a tent. Does it remind you of anything? Yeah, Mount Sinai. If you were here back in October, November, uh, hopefully you remember as we were looking in the book of Exodus, God brings his people out of Egypt through the desert to Mount Sinai. And there on the mountain, uh, God reveals his glory to his people. There's a cloud and everyone's terrified and there's thunder and lightning and God speaks to his people out of the cloud. They hear his audible voice and they're given instructions about building a, a tabernacle, a tent, uh, which will symbolize God's dwelling with his people. Uh, so there are clear echoes um, to that. And the imagery of the transfiguration is all about glory. The disciples were told saw Jesus' glory. Now back in Exodus at the mountain, Moses went up into the presence of God and we're told when he came down, his face shone uh, with reflected glory. He'd been in the presence of God and so something of God's glory had kind of, he'd caught it and then reflected that glory and people could see that. But here at the transfiguration, Jesus doesn't have reflected glory. Glory comes out of him. His face and his clothes are bright like lightning. So we could say like, Moses was a bit like the moon reflecting the light of the sun. Jesus is the sun itself. He doesn't just reflect God's glory. He is the glory of God. What the transfiguration is telling us is that Jesus is not just one more prophet pointing to God. Jesus is the God that all the prophets are pointing to. And that point is, I think, underlined with the appearance and the disappearance of Moses and Elijah. Uh, these two are two of the greatest figures in the Old Testament. Moses, who gave the law to Israel. Elijah, who was one of the greatest uh, prophets in Israel. And their appearance with Jesus, their conversation with Jesus, I think points to the fact that Jesus comes in continuation of the Old Testament story. 
He's not something new. He's continuing and fulfilling all that the Old Testament pointed to. But the fact that at the end, Moses and Elijah disappear and Jesus is left alone and he alone receives this voice, this is my son, points to the fact that Jesus far surpasses what Moses and Elijah uh, had accomplished in their ministry. Jesus is the unique son of God, the unique revelation of God. He's not just one more prophet in a long line of prophets pointing to God. He's the God all the prophets are pointing to. The ultimate revelation of who God is. And so, listen to him. Jesus is the Son of Man, the one with absolute authority and universal dominion and everlasting rule. So, listen to him. Of course, you listen to him because of who he is. Let me read to you from uh, the beginning of the book of Hebrews, which I think captures a lot of these ideas. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And the writer goes on throughout chapter 1 just highlighting the surpassing greatness and uniqueness of Jesus the Son. And then the application really comes at the beginning of chapter 2 where the writer says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Jesus is the unique Son of God, the ultimate revelation of God, absolute authority, universal rule, everlasting dominion, so pay attention to him, listen to him, keep listening to him. Secondly, listen to what Jesus says about his mission. Back in verse 22, Jesus says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This is the shocking idea that Jesus reinforces again and again. Yes, he's the Messiah. Yes, he's the Son of Man. But he's not the kind of Messiah people were expecting. He's not a military leader. Uh, He's a Messiah who will suffer and die. Yes, he's the king, but he's a king heading to a cross. And this links, again, with the transfiguration story in a couple of, a couple of points. Uh, when Moses and Elijah, this is really fascinating, when Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus, we're told they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. If you've got your Bible open, you'll see there's a footnote for the word departure, or if you've got it on your phone, you might have a hyperlink. Um, That word departure is the word exodus, which is quite a strange word for Luke to use at this point. They spoke about his exodus, which he was about to bring to fulfillment, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, the exodus was, of course, the great act of rescue in the Old Testament. God rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt and bringing them into the promised land of Canaan. 
And that rescue was remembered every year in the celebration of the Passover and other festivals. But the Old Testament makes it clear as you read through that, that there is another exodus coming, a, a greater exodus, a true exodus if you like. And that's what Jesus is going to fulfill. That's what he's going to accomplish at Jerusalem through his death and resurrection. A rescue from slavery to sin. A rescue from slavery to death. And rescue that will secure an inheritance in the new creation. And there's a hint of this rescue in the story itself. Remember what God said when he revealed himself at Mount Sinai? Uh, tell the people to stay back. No one must touch the mountain or they'll die. Even if an animal touches the mountain, they'll die. Such is the holiness of God. And when Moses goes up the mountain, he asks God, show me your glory. And what does God say? You cannot see my glory and live. No one can see my face and live. You'll die. And yet what happens here in the transfiguration? The disciples, they see Jesus' glory. They see his face. And they don't die. I think this points to the fact that Jesus is not only the glory of God, he's also the way that sinful people can approach God's glory. He is the way that unholy people can come near to this blazingly holy God. And the link to the previous passage shows that the way Jesus will do this, the way that Jesus will make that possible, is through his death and resurrection. That's the only way that sinful people can approach a holy God. As Jesus says, he must suffer, must be rejected, that he must be killed. Because it's the only way for sinful people like you and me to approach a holy God. So listen to him. Take on board the fact that Jesus had to die for you. This Jesus, this glorious one, the unique son, God in human flesh, absolute authority, this is the one who had to die in your place on the cross. That's what it took for you to come back to God. What a cost. How could we ever take our relationship with God for granted? So listen to what he says about his mission and what he's come to do. Thirdly, listen to what Jesus says about how to live. Jesus calls us, his followers, to a life of self-denial and sacrifice and service. He calls us to complete allegiance to him. It's a big call. And you might say, well, why should I? Well, he is the unique son of God who gave his life on your behalf. He deserves our complete allegiance. But I think there's more that we can say. Uh, the transfiguration reveals Jesus' glory, doesn't it? Jesus is God. But we can also turn that around and say God is Jesus. 
Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. And, and what is the nature of God that is revealed in Jesus? Well, incredibly, he's a God who serves. And he's a God who suffers. And he's a God who sacrifices himself for others, for his enemies. This is the nature of God. And therefore, this is the nature of godliness. That was the shape of Jesus' life. Service, suffering, sacrifice. And that is to be the shape of our lives as we follow him. The glory of God is seen in the transfiguration, but it's also seen, maybe supremely seen, in the cross of Christ. The glory of God is seen in sacrificial service. And I think that helps explain what Jesus goes on to say in verse 48. A few verses on, he says, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. It's the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. True greatness, Jesus says, is seen in being servant of all. And as he says earlier, true life is found in losing your life for Jesus. John Stutt uh, says this, The astonishing paradox of Christ's teaching and of Christian experience is this. If we lose ourselves in following Christ, we actually find ourselves. True self-denial is self-discovery. To live for ourselves is insanity and suicide. To live for God and for others is wisdom and life indeed. We do not begin to find ourselves until we have become willing to lose ourselves in the service of Christ and our fellows. So, listen to Jesus. Listen to what he says about his identity. He's the ultimate revelation of God. So listen to him. Keep listening to him. He's, listen to what he says about his mission. Have you taken on board the fact that he had to die for you? Have you taken in what it cost for you to have a relationship with God? And listen to what he says about how to live. Are you persuaded yet? And does your life reflect the fact that true life is found in losing your life for Jesus and others? That true greatness is seen in being servant of all. I'm going to give you a minute to reflect in quiet, then Paul is going to come and lead us in prayer. Let's continue in prayer. God of grace, God of mercy and God of love. God of justice, power and authority. Jesus, the glorious one. Jesus, the one who 
gives up all for us. Jesus, the dying, resurrected and ascended one, we thank you that we can come before you today in prayer, both giving thanks and asking for intervention.